What's up everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Music Bowl. My name is Herd. I will be your host today. And as you can hear by the quality of this audio, as you can tell by the title of this episode, we are once again on the motorcycle. We are doing the Moto Music Monday thing. Um, I've been really enjoying making these. Um, I've been really... Well, I just love to ride. So it's been, it's been cool to have a, a more specific task to do while I've been riding. Been really enjoying it. Um, and for those of you who are wondering how I was just going with no hands, um, I have cruise control on the bike. So as I, as I bomb around towns, um, I can sometimes just do that um, and ride without the hands. Here we go. All right, so we are rolling through Otisville, New York currently, and we're headed towards Ellenville via Route 209. So um, it should be a good ride up there. We're gonna head up some mountains today, um, but you are not here. Well, maybe you're here for the ride, but you're not here for the details of the ride. You are here to listen to me talk about some music. And so what I thought I would do with this episode uh, in honor of the Teacher Appreciation Week, is I thought I would talk about the biggest lesson I have learned as a musician from all of my teachers and maybe the various ways in which that particular thing has manifested because I think the thing that I have come up with everybody taught in their own way and um, yeah and I obviously I could have you know in honor of teacher appreciation week I could have just talked about my teachers but since most of you aren't going to know them and most of my professors and teachers are not going to be checking this out. I kind of didn't see the point. And also, I did send a personal message um, to all of my past teachers um, and professors, the ones who have, you know, really, really had the impact. Obviously, there's just been too many to address every single one of them. Um, but... Uh, the ones, the, the most important ones, I would say, I have, uh, I have reached out to. All right. I think we can get up to speed here, finally. Took that one a little wide, but that's okay. Not concerned about it. Um, so anyway, so the, the thing that I have learned most from all of my professors in various ways is that as a musician, um, the most important thing you can be doing is to be focusing on what other musicians are doing. And let's clarify this a couple of ways. One, I do not mean that you need to be worried about what other musicians are doing on Instagram and you shouldn't feel like you're, you know, behind or it's not, it's not like worrying about, oh, I should have taken that one, but that's okay. Um, you don't need to worry about, I and mean, you don't need to be checking out what they're doing in terms of social statuses or the types of gigs or things like that. Um, I am talking about when you are in an actual performance space when you are working with actual musicians in real time or when you are you know composing or when you are like doing anything like actively in the moment with other musicians not scrolling instagram twitter tiktok whatever it is that you're doing at that space it's up to you i would say maybe consume less than more but you do you you know um 
and I think the way the way that all of my teachers have taught this has been different and I don't think anybody has explicitly said that this is the ticket to being like a great musician but I think this fact this one thing has been something that I've tried to really really focus on throughout my career and I think it's been one of the things that has helped to set me apart as a bass player and as a musician in a lot of different scenarios in various ways. And I don't say that to say that I am a, maybe a great musician. Um, I would say I'm upper middle class. <laughs> and, um, you know, and maybe I'll let other people decide if I'm more than that. But what I will say is I have noticed that other people who have called themselves great and don't have some of these qualities maybe should reconsider <laughs> what how they how they are viewing themselves um, so first and foremost we need to address the fact of like okay so how do you you know how do you justify focusing so much on on other people what are the ways that we can do that what does this look like all that good stuff um, and let me just navigate this turn real quick and no one coming so we don't need to actually make a stop here um, What's up, guys? Um, first and foremost, you have to know your stuff extremely well. And something that I don't think gets talked about enough in the broader musical community um, by a lot of the self-help kind of people or a lot of like the coaches and things like that is um, how much time, especially early on, you actually do have to put into this stuff. Um, I feel like a lot of people gloss over the fact that like, yeah, you you know, you need to practice. And then as you're doing that, we can work on all these other things like, you know, personal development and all of that stuff's important. But if your aim is to be a musician, then man, you gotta be putting in the time. Like it's just, there's, there's no way around it. And that's gonna look like many different things at different stages in your life but the great musicians the way they can get away with playing for a half hour a day or less at times is because they at one point in their lives spent six to eight hours a day in a practice room actively working not just kind of noodling around and like you know just jamming and having fun but doing like the serious serious hard work and so that's the first big thing and that's I think one of the ways that all of my teachers instilled in me this idea of like you got to be able to focus on other people the main way the first step to to getting to be able to focus on what everyone else is doing so you can be musical is to just know your craft and i have i have studied with very very few bass players in my life only meh, three that i can think of that are actual bass players um one in syracuse one in Rochester, but that was private lessons. That wasn't even through the college. And when I did my master's in Bowling Green, I was with the great Jeff Halls. And so those are the only three like bass teachers. So everyone else has just been, you know, either drummers that were just teaching me music or, you know, jazz piano players or saxophone players or guitar players or other people who are just, you know, not necessarily working on the technical side of things. And that I think has really helped set me apart is my lessons have never really gotten bogged down by technical weightiness and you have to have that and I was 
I was fortunate enough to at least know the people I could seek out and um, you know I remember the MX forum days um, there were great people back then who were talking in the bass forums and then YouTube was starting to be a thing so there are ways to technically advance your instrument and you have to be doing that you have to be putting the, that time in and no matter who I studied with that was always emphasized but it's like yeah that's your own thing to work on that's like that's the thing you need to do in the practice room in the lesson space and the reason you are doing that is so you can interact with other people and a lot of times I think that's a big thing that gets overlooked is the reason you are a technically gifted I said that wrong the reason you want to be a technically proficient musician is so that you can interact with others in real time um, it's the same with any language, right? If you didn't know English, if I didn't know English this well, oh no, squirrel, oh God, <laughs> I'm so glad he moved. Uh, um, the way that I am able to do this podcast is because my you know, English language proficiency is high enough, I hope it's high enough, that I can do this. I could never do this podcast in Spanish. I'm learning Spanish, I can say some things, I know yeah, a little bit, but I'm not doing a full-on music podcast in Spanish. Not yet. I'm not Karen Kabitas. I'm not bilingual of both. Um, someday I will. But in order to do this in a musical sense, is you have to be technically proficient. Yo, what's up, guys? How are we doing today? Um, you have to be technically proficient enough to not have to focus on what you have to say. You have to be able to listen to what others have to say. So let's go over some of the ways that my teachers have showed me this over the years. And <clears throat> I'll just kind of start with the early days and sort of work my way through maybe mentally some of the people I've worked with. But one of the first big ways um, in the jazz setting, obviously, I think it goes without saying, you have to be able to know your stuff so well that you can listen to the solos that everyone else is playing and that you can interact with that not just hear it not just like oh someone did a thing but do you know what they just did do you know what they just said and can you respond in real time to it not saying i'm great at doing that my jazz is you know mild at best in terms of my abilities and my ears and things like that but i think it's maybe better than some but anyway um you have to you have to be listening and you, you can't be worried, like when I'm playing bass and walking the line, I can't be worried about the notes that I'm playing. I have to know the changes so well, I have to know my instrument so well, that I'm just listening to what the sax player is doing. Did he or she um, miss a bridge? That's happened. Did they take? Did they not take an A section a second time? Did they go to the bridge too early? You know, where did I get lost in the form? Did I just somehow make a mistake or like what needs to happen to get everybody back on track and to be able to listen to say okay the sax player just played this these couple of changes which is you know in the bridge and readjust and or am i noticing that someone else is lost and i need to help rein them in and like no here's the form this is this um and and that's just to, to help get everyone to the end but then there's the fact of like you know we need to still be able to have a conversation what rhythms did the drummer just play can i inter can i interact with that can i respond what what actual note grouping did the sax player just play that can i interact with did he take some cool altered changes i can interact with all things we need to be doing things that i don't claim to be great at by the way i'm not saying that i am amazing at doing that but 
the fact that I am conscious of that, I think, is going to make me a slightly better musician in that context than someone who is not thinking about those things, someone who's just blindly playing, you know, their bass parts. And I think of, like, you know, high school musicians, this is the stage they're at. They're so focused on the playing of their own instrument that oftentimes what everyone else is doing you know gets lost in the mix and that's so that the next step in that process is just what is everybody else doing can you hear that do you know what's going on can you interact with it um and that that will apply in, in so many different levels in the jazz arena um between you know the high school cats and then the college and the professionals and whatever else and the deeper you can be listening and have a knowledge of what's going on around you that's when the real music is starting to happen. That's what's setting apart the great, great, great musicians and the rest of us. You know, that's why that's what makes Coltrane Coltrane and the rest of us not, you know. Um, in a classical, in the classical setting, um, one of the, the, some of the biggest lessons that I took from the classical world, because uh, one, to, for anyone who doesn't know, I absolutely hate playing classical upright. I hate playing with the bow, genuinely hate it. Um, but I will admit it was fun being an orchestra when I could. <laughs> like the music, the music itself is still beautiful. I never cared to put the kind of time in that I would need to to be that great of an upright bass player in the classical realm. And so for that reason, like I, I was very grateful that the audition for me to get into the orchestra I was in was very easy. Um, I sat last chair, was so okay with sitting last chair and just loved to have fun in that, in that group. But we played some great music. I did not play it great, but the orchestra sounded very good. And one of the big things that I took away uh, in one of my conducting classes at one point was if the group you are working with, if you're, if you're conducting and your band or your orchestra or your you know, string quartet that you're coaching is not sounding very good, the first thing you have to ask is what am I doing wrong? You know, if, if someone's always missing an entrance, do I need to conduct that entrance better? Do I need to give bigger cues? Do I need to conduct in a different style? What's up, Pupperino? This is a German Shepherd. Um, you know, what can I do? What, can, what more can I give that will help my musicians out? And sometimes the answer is, I got nothing more I can give. My musicians just need to practice. And I feel like a lot of high school band directors might feel that way. I feel like a, college, a lot of college people might actually feel that way, but there are times when it when I have observed people that's like, man, maybe you, maybe you need to give a better cue. Or, and I've noticed this with myself of like, you know, um, when I conduct something slightly different, I get a different result out of the group I'm working with, and it's it's me. It's how well am I preparing them? You know, um, there is a, there is a large amount of work that obviously your students and your people you're working with need to do, but um, if it's not sounding the way you want it to sound, you have to say, what more do I need to do? What a nice view that is. Um, and then assess from there. Constantly be asking yourself that. And I ask myself that in so many scenarios, like with my jazz band that I do coach, with just even the classroom kids that I work with. You know, they're They've never touched guitar before. How do I help get them from point A to point B? And if they're not achieving that goal, what more do I need to do? Is there something more? Can I break this chord down differently? Can I explain this lesson slightly differently? Like, what can I do that helps them get to where they need to be or where I would like them to be? Not even where they need to be, just where I would like them to be. 
um, where I know they can be. I guess that's the thing. Like, I know you can do better. I need to help you more. That's one of the big things I took away from the college conducting stuff and, and working in that capacity is just what, what more can I do? And sometimes the answer is nothing and your musicians just have to suck it up and do the work and other times you're going to come away with like, oh, I do need to really do this differently. Um, and also, another point in the classical realm is that one of the things I tell my bass players, uh, because oftentimes high school bass and orchestra can be somewhat easy, um, especially, you know, violins are cranking away and the bass players are boom chucking and it's not always the most thrilling thing. So I always ask them, while you're playing that bass line, like what are the violas doing? You know, can you sing their part? And if the answer is I have no idea what they're doing, then you are failing as a musician. Um, and one great example, the probably the best example I have of this from my own career was when my orchestra that I was in sitting last year, um, we got to play Mahler's first symphony. And if you don't know Mahler, one, you should, but two, um, you know, that first symphony is a, is a beast. And the, um, the bass part at the beginning is just an A drone for like a hundred bars. That's all we're doing. We're just cranking away. Just not even cranking away. I'm just holding an A drone at a super slow tempo for a long time. And <laughs> I I remember in that first rehearsal thinking like there's no way I'm ever gonna be able to count this. There's just no way I'm not gonna do it. And I can't rely on my conductor to give me a particular cue of like, you know, I, like I can't rely on him. Like, yeah, it's his job to maybe help me out, but like I need to figure out what I need to do. So my roommate at the time was a drummer. He also happened to be in that same orchestra. So what we decided to do was every Monday before or orchestra rehearsal, we would listen to the score or listen to the piece following along with our parts, you know, following along with the overall full score for the orchestra. And man, we had every single entrance of everybody memorized as if we, like I could have conducted that piece, I feel like by the time we got done with it. Like I just knew absolutely everything. So that when I'm playing an A drone for however long, I don't have to just think about my tone and all that stuff. I am geared into, you know, what the flutes are doing, singing all their melodies to violins. And I'm listening for, okay, I got four bars to go once I hear this particular phrase. You know, or um, as I'm playing this bass line, I'm going to be hearing this so I know I'm in the right place and all that stuff. And, you know, it it can't be understated the kind of detail work that that, that can give you in terms of confidence in your performing. Um, likewise, as you're a soloist, you know, if you're not focused on what that piano is doing and where your rests are and um, or what they're doing when you are resting, I should say, like, man, I just... God help you. <laughs> like I've, I've never in my life counted rests, um, because I just I've always just actively tried to learn the piece of music itself, not just my part. And if you do that, I think. By the way, that road up there for anyone watching the video, that mountain, that's where we're headed. I don't think we're gonna. I'm not gonna have enough GoPro battery to make it up there, but um, that's where we're going eventually. It's gonna take me another half hour, 45 minutes. Um, yeah, that should be. A, it's gonna be a good ride. And we got an airfield over here too. I'll try and get you a view. Man, 
I'm getting crushed with bugs today too. Um, yeah, I've tried to actively learn my part, or not my part, the piece, instead of just my part. And especially the younger musicians, I think that's a big thing that you have to learn quicker than later. Um, it, why is that not working? There we go. Cruise wasn't working. Um, yeah, figure that out. Like, you're trying to learn the piece of music, not just your part. And that will drastically help you. Come on, straighten out. Okay. Um, trying to think what else if there's anything else big those are the those are the biggest ones oh and then composing in the composing realm of things um i've learned this from a lot of teachers and then i saw it applied really well like it applied the best i've ever seen um with maria schneider and when you're composing obviously you have to i think it's well, I, I think it's obvious but you have to consider the musicians that you're writing for and you at least have to know when stuff is going to be super hard that you know is not going to be sight readable and challenging and things like that and uh let's see here we got plenty of room over here Sorry, not distracted by that sequence of events. Um, you have to obviously consider who you're writing for, know when stuff's going to be challenging. You have to um, anticipate how something is going to be read, you know, putting things in correct octaves and all that good stuff. But one of the things that Maria was really good at um, was organizing the, the parts that so that there were like just no awkward page turns ever like so much attention to detail was given it wasn't just throw something in finale or sibelius and then crank it out i had some that were like that there was a guy who came in as a guest artist who claimed to be a professional musician i won't even say his instrument um, but i remember in grad school like there wasn't even a title on my bass part for the song like, it didn't even have a title so when the director called i was like i don't even have that dude like what is that because my part didn't even have titles. Like, and that's a simple thing. Maybe that's a mistake not everyone will make, hopefully. But, um, yeah, just Maria's level of detail meant that page turns, like there'd be a whole page blank to facilitate stuff or half a page or a line would be missing somewhere to make it easier to get a page turn in, um, all that kind of stuff. And so one of the things, I've, I've always comb over my parts extremely well whenever i get the chance to write for people because like that's what i would want like what do i want to see put in front of me and then i'm gonna try and give that to the people that i am writing for and more times than not you know things are pretty easy to read first time unless like obviously the if the music itself is just hard like that's fine like there's nothing you're gonna do about that but how you lay it out how you organize it how you write specific rhythms how you map it out on the page can make a big difference. Um, so I would just encourage you as you are, you know, on the path of whatever endeavor you're on, consider those kinds of things. Um, like what, what more can I be doing to facilitate uh, my group sounding better? What more can I be doing so that I can listen more intently as I'm, as I'm uh, performing and interacting in real time? You know, how better can I know the piece of music, not just my part? 
um, and if I am in a composing scenario, like what would I want to see? How would I want this to be mapped out? And then I'm gonna take the time to do those couple of things. So um, with that, I'll leave that as my little recap there for you guys. But I think that's the biggest lesson that I have gotten, you know, just most of my energy and my focus should be on everything else going on. And I need to know my stuff so well that I'm not thinking about what I what I need to be doing. So uh, with that, we'll call it a day here. Um, I'm about to roll into Ellenville. Um, this, this video a little bit longer, I think, than I intended, but I had a lot to say. And as always, the ride distracts me from time to time. Um, so for anyone watching the video, I'll just kind of let it roll for another minute or so here um, and let you, uh, let you just kind of enjoy the ride. Uh, if you're checking out just the podcast, I will cut it here so you're not just hearing me like ride a motorcycle for the next little bit. But um, yeah, thanks for tuning in, guys. Um, I really appreciate it. Um, feel free to, you know, give the like, give the subscribe, tell your friends about it. If you could leave a review somewhere or a comment or something, um, I just appreciate it. I'm, I'm not, you know, too concerned about um, the actual number of that stuff. It just makes me feel good to know that people actually are listening. <laughs> That's really about what it is. Um, and maybe, uh, maybe let me know what's some of the biggest lessons that you guys have learned along the way, aside from just maybe the technical end of playing your instruments. Um, and if you have not, please reach out to one of your teachers. Uh, I know by the time this episode actually does come out, it will no longer be Teacher Appreciation Week, but if you have not reached out to a professor in a long time, please do so. They'd love to hear from you. I can promise you that. So with that, guys, thanks for listening. This has been another episode of The Music Bowl, another Moto Music Monday. We'll catch you next time.